Philosophers. Philosophers. So, David, what are we talking about today? Let's talk about rights, specifically types of rights. Ooh, what kind of types of rights? Well, I'd like to divide them into two broad categories that are commonly called positive rights and negative rights. Okay. So, should I read off what the Wikipedia kind of summary on those are first, or and then we do a summation, or do you have like a... Working I think definition. this is a pretty easy concept to explain, really. Okay, go ahead. Um, so a positive right would be a right that is defined in such a way that it's like declaring that people are owed a thing, basically. Um, like you have the, uh, some some might say you have the right to access to health care. Um, so it's it's basically an entitlement a positive right is an entitlement Um, whereas a negative right is a something that is forbidden to be done to you so the the phrasing the phrasing of the different rights can get a little bit confusing because for instance you can take a commonly understood right like freedom of speech this sounds like it could be posited as a positive right, the freedom to speak freely. But as it is defined in most contexts that matter, it's really the freedom from persecution, or not persecution, but rather um, like legal action against you for your speech. So the freedom of speech is the freedom to... Speak unobstructed, essentially, or just speak. Well, like... The freedom from being arrested for what you say. Okay. So I think that kind of takes care of this top paragraph. It's, it's basically, yeah, positive rights are freedom to and negative rights are freedom from. Right. I think the way this is summed up is pretty pretty succinct. It says uh, negative and positive rights are rights that oblige either inaction, negative rights, or action, positive rights. These obligations may be of either a legal or moral character, the notion of positive and negative rights may also be applied to liberty rights. So it's pretty much what you said. Um, A negative right is a right that you can do something and you have it without action. Like it's, I think nothing, like for example, the right to speak freely does not require an action of an external party uh, for you to do that. Whereas a positive right, someone has to give it to you. Like, it, I, I, that's one of the distinctions I've heard before. Would you say that's pretty accurate to, to say? Yes. So, and, and you use the example you gave of healthcare as a positive right. Someone right. You has cannot to pro- get healthcare unless somebody else provides it to you. Right. Um, I don't necessarily think I can think of a positive right that you can manifest yourself. Uh, that 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 let's put it this way: I, I can't think of a negative right that can be bestowed on you by an external party necessarily. Like, for example, no one gives me the ability to speak necessarily. I can be permitted, but it's something that I can do on my own anyway. Or it's something that can be done Right, well, and sticking with the paradigm mentioned on on Wikipedia, uh, like a negative right obliges inaction. So I can can come up with a scenario that could be called 
uh, someone bestowing this right of free speech to you. That is to say, suppose you say something and the government decides they want to punish you for it, then someone can grant to you this right to free speech by interfering with the government's attempt to go against you. Sure, sure. Okay. I think... Okay, so let's take, for example, uh, a... I kind of want to talk about a an acknowledgement of rights that exists in a legal framework. Maybe that will help a little bit. So, for example, the Bill of Rights in the United States, or the first ten amendments to the Constitution, for those who don't know. Are these negative rights or positive rights? Or does it depend on which one? It depends on which one. Okay. So, the First Amendment, negative right? Negative right. Yes. you. It is obliging inaction on the part of the government in response to people speaking freely, publishing things freely, um, and uh, practicing their religion. Okay. Uh, the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. Right. Um, that's also a negative right. Okay. Um, it is obliging inaction on the part of the government for those who would keep and carry weapons. Okay. We need to look up our amendments now. <laughs> I just don't want to butcher, uh, yes. butcher them because and there are, there are, there are some in there that I forget which, which number they are because they are not mentioned very, very frequently. frequently. Yeah. Exactly. So let's scroll on, scroll arena. The on third down. amendment I believe has to do with, uh, quartering. Is that right? I, think, I thought that was the fourth. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> again, I don't want to butcher it. So I think it's worth our time yes. to, uh, yes. Okay. So the okay. First, Amendment, the first second, amendment, second Amendment, Third, third. Amendment. Yes, yes. Okay. Quartering. No soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner. Um, etc. Well, um, it, or nor yeah. in time of war, but in manner to be prescribed by law. So. Right. Um. So yes. So this is also, um. This is also a negative right. It's. Yeah. It's saying the government cannot quarter soldiers in citizens homes without their permission it, i'm not okay this is not the time to go into this but as a weird i think it'd be interesting to pursue as a sidebar it also is an acknowledgement of private property <laughs> um yes as well so it, right private property like the existence of private property is not really mentioned in the constitution but it's implied. well uh that's not true it is mentioned in the second amendment true to keep to, to keep. keep arms yes okay so let's look at the. let's just keep on going i don't want to go off that that could be a whole episode. <laughs> yes. I think we've done that episode on private property. Um, yeah. so the Fourth Amendment, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Right. Um, so this, again, is a negative right preventing the government from um taking your stuff from taking or looking at your things um or you except except in special cases right and in those special cases they must be well specified right yeah they must be very specific about what it is they're doing right you can't just get a, a blank check exactly so the fifth amendment no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment 
Yeah. Indictment of a grand jury accepting cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in the actual service in time of war or public danger, semicolon, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, semicolon, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property. There's your property right there. There's your property. Without due process of law, nor shall private property, so there's your second private property, be taken for public use without just compensation. Oh, kind (laughs) of. So what about this one? Po- uh, private or uh, positive or negative? There's, this one's kind of a sandwich of rights, kind of like yeah, the first one. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Um, but they all have to, kind of have to do with the same thing, sort of. Actually, it's two main things it has to deal with. Yeah, so... Well, it's not obliging... Well, actually, no, okay. Actually, there is one positive right in here that I see. Okay. That is the right to a jury. Okay. Um, this requires action on the part of the jurors to show up to your case and hear it and make it, make a uh, verdict. Fair enough. Um, the rest of these seem like negative rights. Right. Okay. So let's, uh, keep on rolling. Yeah. The sixth amendment. We don't hear about this one very often. Uh, After five, it gets kind of, gets kind of obscure most of the time. So the sixth amendment in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed. That's an interesting phrasing. Shall have been. So you yes. don't hear that very often. Which district shall have been previously ascertained by law and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witness against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. So this is a positive right. This is a all of these right. are positive rights. Yes. yes, these are things that shall be provided to you essentially during the case of a prosecution. So a negative right would be obviously, and the neg- the only way you can make this negative is to say you you're guaranteed you you don't have to be tried. <laughs> like the I think the nature of this saying that the government reserves the right to hold criminal cases to hold a criminal trial against its citizens that's the acknowledgement here is that it's acknowledging the government's right to essentially try people for crimes and to institute laws that define things as crimes and this is the positive things that you're insured as a kind of a right if you are that. if you are being subjected to charges of criminal offenses then here are the things you are guaranteed if these cannot be met, there can be no trial. Right, which the explanation right underneath this kind of acknowledges that. The Sixth Amendment establishes a number of rights of the defendant in a criminal trial. So by being put in that situation, it's essentially giving you these things. Because, let's be honest, being put in a trial is unnatural in, in, in every way. Right. So it's an artificial system in which it's not like the natural rights where you would have them in, in a vacuum. You cannot right. be in a trial in a vacuum. Therefore, it's a system that's artificially created, and thus positive rights can only be assured here, I would say. Yeah. All right. The Seventh Amendment, another one you don't normally hear about. In suits at common law, where the value in... I almost said controversy. I've been watching too many uh, oh, British YouTubers. Yeah. Controversy. Yeah. So, in suits 
at common law where the value in controversy shall exceed twenty dollars. That's an interesting <laughs> specifically uh, twenty dollars. Specifically twenty dollars. That's not that's not very forward thinking. Uh the right of trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re examined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. That one didn't age very well, did it? No. <laughs> I reserve the right to a jury trial over you breaking my Xbox <laughs> or something like that, you know? So anyway, this one, what do you think? It positive as well because you're being essentially given the right to a jury trial yes. for yeah, uh, civil juries. cases. Yep. So, which is weird. You don't normally think about juries in civil cases. It's but not, you totally can. You totally if can. If the dispute is more than $20, which is all of them. All of them pretty much <laughs> these days. These unless, days, yeah. You took my stick of gum. What kind of gum was it? Juicy fruit. All right. No jury for you. No jury for you. (laughs) Okay. But it was 20 packs of juicy fruit. All right. Give him a jury. Give him a jury. (laughs) All right. So the Eighth Amendment. Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Right. So Woof. These, these, this is a negative right. Yeah. Woof. We just need to do a whole episode about this one. That's That's a lot of subjective stuff you got in there. Yep. Well, I think that imprisonment is cruel and unusual because people aren't usually put in cages. Well, but they are, though. Right now. So <laughs> it's literally usual. <laughs> now, but it wasn't in nature. So that's the other thing. If you make a punishment that's... <laughs> if you take a punishment and make it typical, then it now is legal to yes. make typical. That's an interesting... Okay, not going down that yep. rabbit hole. Not today. Fun with the law. Yes. Fun with the law. Okay, so the Ninth Amendment, we're almost there. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. That's kind of a word salad. Right. So it's hard to really classify this one because this is basically just a clarification of terms, which is just saying, hey, federal government, just because we didn't write it here doesn't mean it's not their right. Yeah, because that's what, that's what the description says. The Ninth Amendment declares that there are additional fundamental rights that exist outside the Constitution. The rights enumerated in the Constitution are not an explicit and exhaustive list. It was rarely mentioned in the Supreme Court decisions in the second half of the 20th century. Blah, 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 blah. And there's a bunch of cases here, like right of marital privacy, which is another one that kind of came out. Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood, you know, the right, yeah, so on and so forth. Not getting into that. But this one isn't really a right it's just kind of an acknowledgement and declaration of terms right so i don't think it's fair for us to justify it as a positive or negative necessarily so let's get on to the and final it will be the same with the 10th yeah yeah the powers are not delegated to the united states by the constitution the powers not delegated i gotta phrase that yes, one correctly the powers not delegated to the united states by the constitution nor prohibited to it or by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people Essentially kicking the can to the states where if it's not explicitly, which kind of goes nicely in tow with the Ninth Amendment to say if it's not explicitly declared here, it could still be right. But the states get to figure that out, not the federal government, which, okay. So that one, nine and ten don't really qualify for whether or not they're positive or negative necessarily. Um, One might say that you could say that the Tenth Amendment is a negative right of the states, uh, sort of, where the federal government doesn't get to take inaction is obligated to remain in act in a state of inaction when the states are declaring or clarifying further, but that's a kind of a stretch. Right. And also now we're talking about rights given to entities, not people, which right. would also be kind of outside the scope of this discussion. Yes. So 
Okay. So all that having been said, all of that having been said and exhausted. What about positive and negative rights? Like what we kind of, I think we've done a good job of laying out their differences and laying out some examples, at least in our context. So what are your thoughts on this paradigm? Do you think that, like, what are your thoughts? I just want to know. My thoughts. Um, so. The thing, the thing is negative rights in my estimation are the only kinds of rights that can be said to exist in a truly free society because otherwise you are obligating other people to do things. Okay. Um, but that is not to say that things would be good if all positive rights as defined in the law were to be done away with overnight. Sure. I understand that. For instance, as we've enumerated in the Bill of Rights here, rights to a jury um, and a uh, and legal counsel, etc. Right. We have need for this right now because of how complicated our legal system is. Sure. Well, and the fact that there is this assumption of a social contract in place which actually takes freedom away. Right. And so... It's important to acknowledge the things that people are endowed with by their creator, to use the terms that the Constitution kind of lays out. I don't out. like to use those terms, no, I, but that's fair. But okay, the things that people naturally w- could be observed to have as a right, which are negative rights, they are things that, if left in a state where they're not acted upon or in action by third parties, would be able to do. And those are things that you can only do in a state of true freedom. However, right. by imposing a system, you are encroaching on individual freedom just by the I think nature. the big thing, and although the topic today is not natural rights, what I'll, what I'll say about that, I think a better way to think about natural rights is things that if, if they were to be foregone, you could not say that that society is a free society anymore. If people do not have these certain rights in this society, then the society is not free. This Fair is enough. this is subjective. Sure. But the concept of rights is subjective. That's true. You cannot find rights in nature. No. Um more more so than anything, I think you can just observe things and then based on how we can you... yeah, we can we can come up with some criteria that define what a free society looks like and then test those against consequences. We can make them objective that way, but the criteria themselves were subjective. So really it's still all a subjective system. Right. So. Or arbitrary anyway. Fair enough. For me, I, I think one of the problems I have with, positive rights is that they're a good thing but you can't ever have you can't ever fully enumerate them that's one of the problems because there will always be a scenario in which 
there's ambiguity, which is why a court system exists. If you really look at what the higher levels of most court systems do, and I'm talking appeal, appellate courts and Supreme Courts, they don't actually try cases. They don't make decisions on a specific case necessarily. More where they exist is to examine the law itself. Right. Their job is to set important precedent. Exactly. For future cases. Right. And that's a whole... Because an appellate court does not expect to hear the same type of case again. Right. Um, Nor the Supreme Court. No. They they look at the gray areas in which... Like, the ones mentioned here... Like, a lower court makes a decision that makes its way to the appellate court, and the appellate court says, okay, why are we here today? What is the issue? What is the contention here? Yeah, it's not whether... It's clearly something that that people are taking an issue with, with a decision of a lower court. Right. And usually the issue is not, I think you can break them into kind of two categories. It's the process, whether the process was followed or not. And that is the workings of lower courts. And the other one is the application of the law when it's not explicit. Um, A good example of this was the Roe v. Wade controversy over abortion rights. Well, that's not outlined in the Constitution, and nor was it outlined in the law. And there were definitions that weren't explicit enough about, for example, what human life is, really. And that's why it's such a difficult case, because the government doesn't want to explicitly state this one way or the other. Because, A, they don't tend to age well, and B, there are huge ramifications. far-reaching consequences. Right. And uh, you're just opening yourself up to more of these decisions where what about in this case? Well, what about this case? What about, what about, what about? All the way down. And Well, right. And if you're if you're too haphazard about your definition of human life, you might end up with people like weaseling their way out of murder. Exactly. Um, so these are the kinds of problems I think you get into. You get into similar issues with any positive right. Um there will always be contention. I think the way you argue for and against positive rights is much differently than you would argue against negative rights. And one of the big highlighting differences I see is how innumerable the exceptions can be to positive rights, whereas negative rights tend to be very... The the ramifications aren't the same. You know, like if you outline something to be a negative right, first of all, it's... Let's let's take a negative right, for example, being uh, the freedom of speech, right? Or the freedom to speak and not fear retribution for it. So you're obligated to just remain inactive. If you're a government, that's a very easy thing for you to deal with and manage. Because if it deals with speech, someone doesn't like what you say, we just can't do anything about it. So there's no further need for a clarification on whether or not we should do something. Uh, it We just don't do something. And... It's weird because this kind of harkens back somewhat to a trolley problem of sorts where it, when you get into positive rights, it's like reframing the trolley problem, but taking the you can't just do nothing off the table. You have to, it, it's like saying the the track, it, it's like adding the third caveat where the, the lever's in the middle, the track's not aligned with either option, and there are people on the train. Like that's kind of the world you're in when you're dealing with positive rights. You have to pull the lever one way or the other. You can't just do nothing. Whereas in the world of negative rights, 
it's the traditional problem where inaction is always an option. Um, and so by entering into the realm of positive rights, and, 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 and I agree that they need to be a thing when you've already, in the world of positive rights, you're the one constructing the problem. And therefore, you're having to put in constraints to compensate for the fact that you've already made a decision or you've placed yourself in the position to make the decision, which is what a government does, is it's serving the place to make the rules and to enforce the rules and to interpret the rules. And by putting yourself in that place, now you have to put positive rights in for the people who are subject to those rules to keep the government in check. Whereas with negative rights, you're essentially drawing your own boundaries of how far you can reach. And I think that's one of the things that I tend to like more about negative rights is that you're clearly defining the extent to which your authority exists. Now, there's some problems with this, uh, I think. Um, if you don't have negative rights, you're giving unlimited reign for authority. So that's one of the problems. Do you think that positive rights can serve a can serve to make implications about negative rights to limit them in some way, and in, in that way, positive rights can be a negative influence on the rights of the population? Do you think that's possible? For example, say a positive right, because positive rights still have to exist in the same realm as negative rights, at least in the United States. So, but you can make some assumptions. You know, for example, on positive rights, there is no, nothing is in the Constitution that says explicitly, I, w I don't think necessarily, that the government has the right to try its citizens for crimes that it lays out. It's pretty obvious that by its existence, it would not be able to do that, or it might outline that in the uh, executive branch of the Constitution, where it talks about, carries out the law you know, or enacts the law. But that's later on when you're looking at the... There are a fair number of assumptions in the Constitution about English common law, basically. Sure. and and But the thing is, is that positive rights all acknowledge those things. Like, why even have a section about trials if the government doesn't have the right to try its citizens, right. for example? So in that way, the government can scope out an area in which it has authority, but doing so in a way in which it's limited itself. And to that, I think that's one of the problems with negative laws is they can have a creeping effect on removing freedom. Essentially, you can you can uh, permit freedoms, but while you're doing it, take away other freedoms when constructing a positive right. Whereas in a negative right, that doesn't happen. You, you're not there's no limiting factor that to come along with negative rights. I wouldn't say. So that's that's one of the problems. Let's let's take the healthcare as a human right example as a positive right. You have the right to healthcare, and we're asserting that you do. But the implication is that now the government has the obligation to construct that system, right. and there is no way to construct a welfare system that doesn't infringe on the rights of other people. For example, you know right. what I mean. It may not be outlined how it does that, but facts are you're gonna have to pay for it somehow or you're gonna have to force doctors to work at gunpoint you know what i mean like one of those somewhere in between that's gonna have to happen you know and so that that that's an area in which you get into this weird nexus of 
positive rides bumping against negative rides, I think. Yeah. So I do agree that they are a good thing. Like like it's it's better for them to be there than not most of the time because otherwise it's ambiguous and you're giving the entity who has the ability to make that decision to draw the line and that doesn't age well. But you're also opening up the conversation for the the encroachment, you know. And in that way, I do think that negative rights should always rank higher than positive rights. It's at least when outlined in a constitution, you know. Like, there's nothing in the U.S. Constitution that says the amendments are taken in order of precedence from first to later. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a thing. Like, there's no prioritization of rights necessarily. Right. They all exist simultaneously. They all exist simultaneously. Yeah. And, like, that's why when we... When amendments are repealed, they aren't actually repealed. It's just a new amendment that says, actually, this one doesn't count anymore. Yeah, they both have to exist and then cancel each other out. It's not taking one off the books. Right. Basically, we turn the Constitution, or we turn this subsection of the Constitution into a logical contradiction that can't be acted upon. Is essentially what we're doing. See the 18th and 21st Amendments. Actually, (laughs) this isn't the law. What do we do? Well... It doesn't mean anything, so we literally can't do anything. There you go. So, <clears throat> what I want to look at a little bit is the... Uh, so, so, a good example of this maybe is the First Amendment in conjunction with... Oh, dang it. Which one was it? I think it's the Fifth Amendment. Okay, so here's a good example. So... Uh, a negative right is, for example, your freedom to, you have the right to transport yourself. You have the right to move about freely, right? Mm-hmm. That's a negative right because it, it, it compels inaction or it obliges inaction against you for moving around, right? Right. So a, but a positive right that infringes on this is the right for another person to compel you to appear in court on their behalf as a witness or the right to subpoena the government to subpoena you into court. Right. So, or to make an arrest or to make an arrest, you know, any of these things can impede that negative right of being able to move freely. Like I have the right to go where I please as long as I'm not butting up. Until you don't. Until you don't. (laughs) And, and that's, I think that's an interesting interaction. So, I don't necessarily think you can construct a positive right. Okay, how about this statement? Do you think it's possible to construct a positive right that doesn't infringe in some way upon a negative right? And that was a broad statement. Uh, mm, It depends on context. So, like, because what I'm thinking of is... Okay, in in isolation, no. All positive rights will infringe on one or more negative rights. Um, at, at least at first thinking about it, perhaps perhaps an argument could be made to the contrary. But you know, obliging action is like necessarily infringes upon someone's right to do what they want unimpeded. Right. I also... But, but like, but like another context I'm thinking of is like, okay, suppose we have determined that you have already violated someone's rights. Say you stole their property. Okay. 
now to bring about restitution, can we endow the victim with the positive right to have their property returned to them or proper compensation delivered in the event that returning the property is impossible? Like, so now we're compelling you to give it back or pay them for it. I don't see a problem with that. Um, I don't think that, you know, it necessarily violates a negative right because we're already in the space of rights have been violated. Like you have basically already, Mm, you you have, you have surrendered your rights by violating somebody else's. Okay. So that that raises an interesting question. Um, Can you have negative rights that infringe on each other? Yes. It, okay, let's let, let's limit this. I, I think that's fairly obvious, but can you as an individual in a vacuum have negative rights that infringe on each other? Define okay, a vacuum. In, in solitary. Like you on an island, can no, you infringe on your no, own rights? Rights are a social construct. They only exist in social situations. Okay, that's fair. I'm I'm just clarifying to make sure we understand. Yeah. Okay. So can you have a negative rights only way of resolving rights infringement? Is that a system that's possible to construct? Like theoretically, I'm not saying we implement it right now. I'm just saying like, or we define it. But do you think it's I think possible? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm asking you to figure, tell me what okay. that might look like because that's <laughs> that's the thing I'm interested in because it seems as though most of the positive rights that exists, it, you could have to the, mo- the ones that are easiest to justify are the ones that had to do with infringement of already existing negative rights. Right. Right. Or yeah. Or like the the methods by which we can deal with these uh, infringements. Yeah. Exactly. So in the most good faith, I think, interpretation of positive rights, you could try to construct a system in which all it deals with is resolving infractions on negative rights. But if you wanted to do this, I think, in a cleaner way, you would want to do it with all negative rights, if you could. I think a system built entirely on negative rights is going to be the most clean system to maintain. Like I could see that there is going to be some definite difficulties in setting it up, but once it's in place, it should be theoretically timeless and not need to be consistently updated. Cause that's one of the problems with positive rights is they tend to be much more subject to the changing times and environment. Cough, and, cough $20. Yeah. The $20 <laughs> thing, for example, <laughs> Um, you know, but there's no, but any way you frame that, it's not going to age well. And not only that, but they don't play well with each other because whenever you update one positive right, you now have to go out and seek the ramifications for all the other positive rights and being in a system in which rights all exist simultaneously works cleanly for negative rights or much more cleanly. I would say, yeah, there can still be some conflicts and we've we've talked about those before a little bit um i don't think we ever did a full i I think it's still on our on our topic stack uh to do an episode on rights superseding other rights um so we probably need to get to that eventually i agree um but we run into situations like that before like like private property rights running up against the freedom to move about freely sure um like one of these has to win in certain circumstances. True. Um, but implementing a system in which you're prioritizing negative rights can be a lot more clean, I think, 
but having a system in which a bunch of positive rights exist and there's no order of operations for them i think i think this is the solution to have a system by which uh infractions can be uh rectified um in a system with only negative rights which is set up a priority system i agree i think that would be worthwhile to to try to to construct a system like that um negative rights with priority and it would be very interesting to look at how that priority changes and the practical implications of such um for example you know what would happen if you had the right you know the freedom of speech for example is 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 a right but we also acknowledge the negative right to isolation like you technically have the right to isolate yourself in some way, shape, or form. Maybe I'm I'm saying, or at least to the attempt. Yeah, like you're you're able to essentially build as many walls and sound dampenings as you can, and no one should be able to stop you, right? But that also kind of would infringe on not not so much the the, the right itself to speak freely. No, but it really doesn't at all. No. no conflict here. This is not a good example. This is this. not a good example. I'll have to back up and think of a better example. Okay, let's just leave it with what we said. Speak freely. I mean, move freely and private property. Yeah. So if we place movement freely above private property, you can't stop people from traversing through your property, if your property is land in this case. Right. There must be a way for them. You, you must essentially now provide a route through your property in order to not impede someone's ability to move freely. And this, I think, can be done within reason very well they obviously don't have the right to come through your house necessarily or would they or if otherwise you could essentially (laughs) buy the land in a circle around them i think you could define it in a in a careful way like you private property cannot supersede the right to move freely provided that the um provided that someone has a i'm going to use the magic word reasonable reasonable way to get to a place that they are allowed to be or you you just have to get yeah I, so I, that and and so that the magic word reasonable there is to throw away the uh the the nitty-gritty of can they traverse your house to get there well is there a way around then no but if your house literally blocks their path and there's no other way then maybe they need to be able to go through right I think you might be able to work some wording out with something to the effect of least resistance within reasonable boundaries. Like, right. It, like, and the, the other reason why I said reasonable is that like, you know, maybe you have like a fence around your property and you don't want someone to cross, but they need to, to go there. And well, you can say, well, you see, if you take this thousand mile detour to go around, I'm not really blocking you. Well, that's not reasonable. Right. And then you could deal with it that way. Um, hmm. I think that might be a good topic for another time. I think we really ought to do an episode on, and this one would be just us attempting to construct a system of negative rights only that could resolve disputes. Yes. That'll be an interesting topic. I need to write that down yes, for us do. to put on the list. I'll put it on the list now. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, there's really not too much. I don't have much else to say about positive and negative rights, to be honest. Like they're not super complicated concepts but the ramifications can be (laughs) the ramifications and the discussions around those ramifications uh go on it ad nauseum or ad infinitum or whatever you want to whatever latin word you want to use using latin words in english anyway yeah um i do think as a rule of thumb most of the time positive rights are better had than not had because it's much better than just outright 
infringing on that freedom. You're better off adding caveats than not. You know what I mean? Which is essentially all a positive right is. It's we're giving you is 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 essentially saying we're gonna give this to you or because we're taking something else. It, it's at least acknowledging some kind of trade for the infringement or some kind of justification. Well, right. Or in like the case of like uh, juries and the legal counsel, it's like we we will restrict ourselves such that we will not subject you to a trial unless we can afford you these things. Right. And a lot of that's the, that's the thing is sometimes you can't get a jury in a place or there are no public defenders to be, or, or private attorneys to be found. that can be afforded. So right. there is no trial. They walk free. You cannot hold somebody, um, without giving them those, those things. Exactly. And, and there's one of these amendments I'm trying to, forget what it was but yeah it's essentially there's there's also some acknowledgement and positive rights to where the at least one of the things you also get in positive rights you also get by implication limitations as well so for example the one you were talking about where you have the ability to uh speedy and public trial well if you're in an area or a, or a uh, <clears throat> impartial jury you, if you are like you said in an area in which those things cannot be manifested why is the government trying to exert authority in that place a good example of where this actually comes into play a lot is in the more remote regions of the united states uh, alaska is a great example there are places in which if you were to attempt to enforce the law you would have to drag pretty much everyone who lives there into a courtroom to deal with it because there are just that few people that exist in that area. And then, if you don't find that enough of them are even eligible to be in a jury, then you can't assemble a jury and there can be no trial. Exactly. And so you're also erring on the side you're of... You're fired. I'm fired. <laughs> you're also essentially erring on the side of, we have to do this fairly or not at all. Right. And I think that's a good thing. You know, because... <laughs> it, it's giving the most benefit of the doubt to the most likely to be victimized in an area, to be honest, um, or the least power, the, the lesser group in power, you might say, um, which is a good thing. You know, in all else fails, you know, you kind of want to go on the side of the person who has going to have the least amount of ability to overreach on that. So yes, you will have cases in which there will be people who are able to break the law but it's much better to have that one person breaking the law and getting away with it than to have a massive entity like a government be able to just act without being reined in. You know what I mean? As much as that sucks to think about, yeah, it sucks to think about people being able to break the law, but it sucks a lot more to think about a government that isn't held to account uh, or isn't held to limitations. So, right. Which is another way to think about it. Um, I do think that negative rights, do, can you, can it be said that negative rights limit a government? Yes, that's what they are for. Okay. To oblige inaction on the part of the government. Okay. The only reason I ask is I was trying to figure out in my head is, you know, is, you know, I would say that a, is authority is necessarily a zero sum game, would you say? 
is authority a zero-sum game? Right. Whereas in... Because I could see the argument to be made that it is. And in the case that it is, negative rights are empowering citizens' authority. If you were just to put in this system the citizens and the government, those are the only two entities in this arena. Negative rights give authority to individuals as a group, the citizenry, and that pushes back the influence of the government, whereas positive rights tend to push the authority the other way with holes in it. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out a way. Uh, this may not be I don't a well-constructed analogy. I don't think this is easy enough to quantify to say. Yeah. Cause like we, need, we need a symbol of quantification to be able to say if this is zero-sum or not. Right. At face value, I don't think so. All right. Well, at face value, I have no idea how to categorize it. Sure. And I don't either. And that's the thing is a lot of people do talk about it that way, though. I mean, that's that's why I'm trying to, to put it in terms I can understand, because a lot of the like, time... I, like, I don't think that for someone to have authority necessarily means that somebody else loses authority, because that would be what a zero-sum game is. And that's why I tried to box it into citizens and their government. Like, in like that if arena. we want to talk about, like, a parent has authority over their child. Well, I don't have authority over somebody else's child to lose by that person having authority over their child. So, no. Right, but I'm trying to limit it to two variables. and Two entities that are opposed, theoretically, on the power spectrum that you would have here. Are we talking about power or authority? Authority. Apologies. On this spectrum of authority, you know, the citizens versus their government. There is no third party in this theoretical okay. example I'm given. So could you in that in that arena label it as a zero sum game? I still don't think so. Oh yeah. Necessarily. Um like it just because well hmm. I don't know. Now I, that I think about it. I think one of the things that might help it be a zero sum game is it's the fact that by acknowledging negative rights, you're essentially saying that in all areas of ambiguity under this term, it you are erring on the side of the individual. Like, by the nature of negative rights, no law can be made in that regards this specific thing. And so, because of that, I don't know, it, it's hard to quantify. And it... it you know, and that's the thing, and and that's why I don't like when people discuss taking back. That's why I don't like discussing rights in the terms of the zero sum game because, they, and I don't know about you, but in a lot of the discussions I have, it does come down to that. You know, is well, any right that the government doesn't have is preserved by me, right? Like that's that's the way they frame it, and that's more of a zero sum way of thinking about it. Is either the government has the right to do it, or I have the right to do it. There's no such thing as, and, and granted, a lot of the people that I may be having these discussions with may not have a firm understanding of negative rights versus positive rights, not to disparage them, but it might help to clarify those things in future. But I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a way, because I don't think this would be a good episode necessarily on positive negative rights if we didn't talk a little bit about how to discuss these things, mm -hmm. you know, and, and my the only thing that's coming to my mind in in the experiences that I've had have to do with 
framings around it that are common. And while I know that we can't address every possible framing of positive and negative rights, I wanted to at least hit the high points. And that's one of them is it's all or one, it's all or nothing. Like you either have this right or you don't, you know what I mean? And that's not necessarily true. I don't think. Right. Especially with positive rights. It's not necessarily true. Maybe with negative rights it is, but I don't know. Um, it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, just to harken back to what you'd said, I, I do think it would be a good time. Uh, there will be a good time where we can talk about prioritization of rights. Cause that is kind of mind blowing that they aren't prioritized. You would think uh, to me, that seems like a natural thing to do is if you're laying out a list of rules, you kind of have to put them in a hierarchical order to, to avoid conflicts. But that doesn't seem to be something that's been done. I don't know if that's a new idea or if there's a good reason not to. I'm sure we'll figure it out when we try to use it, but I don't know. Um, I don't really have anything else to say about positive and negative rights beyond that. Um, besides maybe how easy people get them confused and or try to rephrase one to be the other. Yeah, it's very, it's very easy to accidentally uh, get caught up in the phrasing of things. And mistake negative rights for positive ones. Right. Um, I, I see it happen all the time with the people who support the right to have health care. Yeah. Uh, they'll say things like, well, I should be free from unnatural deaths or something like that. Or, or, or I should be free from suffering. Right. And they think that if they use the word free from, it's a negative right. And that's not how that works. Right. Um, and it's also something to be said about negative rights that no it, one... It really... Well, yeah. And, and the phrasing doesn't really matter. It all comes down to the implementation. Like, that's that's, that's true. Like, because you can say... You can phrase the right to healthcare as the freedom from suffering. But how do we free you from suffering? Right. We have to put people to work. Yeah. There has to be action done to do that. Um, suffering is a thing that is going to happen to you if nobody does anything right so i don't know that's that, that's just a minor annoyance that i think occurs for me when discussing positive rights with people is that they don't see the difference between a positive and negative right and or they think it's all about the phrasing i think that's the most important thing for me at least when you're discussing these things is to keep in mind that right we're talking about actual consequences not just words exactly yeah. it the difference has everything to do with implementation not phrasing even though that's harder to think about and harder to talk about, and it's not as easy as just sloganeering it. It's almost like designing a society is hard. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? But anyway, do you have anything else you would like to talk about regarding positive and negative rights? I don't want to run off the cliff with it. Um, hmm. I don't think so. I think that um, I think this is pretty much like it explains the the things that that i have a hard time getting across to to folks about this kind of thing yeah yeah and that last part especially is that it it's very easy to get caught up in the phrasing and forget what you're actually talking about yeah um be careful not to get lost in your own words that's that's definitely true i think that's safe to say for almost anything yes but there are definitely topics that (laughs) tend to be more fraught with potholes and well and, yeah and so this is a bit of a tangent but we have some time um we we love analogies 
and examples when talking about things. Yep. I mean, that, that's sort of like what we started this episode off with. Analogies and examples. It's because they're relatable. And yes, and it makes things easier easier to understand, which is fine. That's great. It's great to, to do that. But it's also very easy to mistake the analogy and the example for the actual thing. And that's the problem is when we say like, okay, well, I can easily summarize positive and negative rights as freedom to and freedom from. But then I have now turned those terms into phrasing, which is exactly where the problem comes in, where people want to get caught up in the phrasing. Yeah. Um, this goes for basically anything. Um, using examples and analogies and summaries are great for trying to introduce somebody to a topic, but do not mistake those for the actual thing. Yep. I've actually had that exact thing happen to me. And with one of the easiest ones to deal with, which is freedom of speech, you know, I was like, the person said, you have the freedom to speak. No, you have the freedom from being prevented from speaking. Right. You also have the freedom from being compelled to speak by nature of the same, but you also have the freedom to say whatever you would like. And, but you also have the freedom from being stopped from saying whatever you like. It, it, you can phrase it either way, and it's the truth either way. But you can also adopt a phrasing that if you lock one in as positive and one in as negative, you open up you open up a fallacy, essentially. And it can be exploited in a debate or in a conversation. And more often than not, if you are seen changing your phrasing, it's, it's viewed as goalpost moving. Even though it may not be, it's... You're trying to clarify. Right. But it's seen as though you're changing your actual assertion. Exactly. And that makes it very difficult to... like. I think we need to talk about that sometime as well. How difficult it is to have... like How careful you need to be when having a organized discussion about something. Because anything you say can and will be used against you later on in the debate it can be you know what i mean especially right well i mean we've sort of talked about that before in our talks True. about ideal discourse or right. a couple of times we've talked about that is like it, that's just bad faith it's like the you are not having an intellectual discussion with me if you're going to play gotcha with my words and not let me clarify right um if you're going to try to pin me to the exact phrasing i used then you don't actually care about the truth. You care about scoring points. True. But even if you're in an ideal discourse, it's inefficient to, even if the person's not trying to pin you to it, it can make you have more difficulty in explaining. In your attempt to make things easier to understand, you might accidentally complicate what you're trying to say using analogies and examples. Yeah. But that's why, and, a real intellectual interlocutor would allow you to clarify when it becomes necessary. Like when your analogy breaks down and you need to say, okay, I acknowledge my analogy totally breaks down in this case, but let me remind you, the analogy is not actually what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Let's dive into the technical terms to explain my point. Right. And I think it goes without saying that this is probably better done in person than on over the internet where yes, <laughs> no one's got the time. It seems to, go into oh, full, goodness, full-fledged yeah. definitions so no i agree I, I very much so agree that it's a difficult topic to discuss so yep i think uh i think i'm happy with it are you happy with it yes okay so uh 
tune in, maybe not next time, but maybe in the future where we will attempt to construct a, a system, system of negative rights. A system yeah. of negative rights that works out pretty cleanly. That'll be an, that'll be an interesting episode, I think. So until then, I guess, philosophers. Philosophers. <laughs>